This is Asha Voices. I'm JD Gray. Many people turn to augmentative and alternative communication, or AAC, when they lose their voice or their ability to speak. But today's guests say AAC should not be viewed as a last resort. Autistic advocate Endeavor Corbin and SLP Amy Donaldson advocate for access for all autistic people who may choose to use AAC, even when speaking orally is an option. They explain how the choice for autistic people to use speech and AAC can fight autistic burnout and boost self-advocacy. Plus, they share what they've learned from the community of autistic people who use speech and AAC and tell us what they've learned from collaborating with each other. I'm JD Gray, and this is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA Press. Since he started middle school, Cody never has enough time. With the help of some friends and his school SLP, he's determined to get his time back. Get this graphic novel, Cody's Adventures, How I Learned to Defeat the Time Snatcher, for 20% off. Visit on.asha.org K-O-D-I. Joining me on the podcast are SLP Amy Donaldson from Portland State University and Endeavor Corbin, an autistic advocate who communicates using AAC. Through participatory research, which is research that includes people who are affected by the issue at hand, Amy and Endeavor present and write papers on autistic people who choose to communicate with oral speech and AAC. Endeavor identifies themselves as semi-speaking, today speaks orally and with an AAC device. On this episode of the podcast, you'll hear Endeavor communicate using AAC. One quick note before we get started, it can take time to enter responses to questions into an AAC device. On the podcast, I'll shorten that amount of time with an edit. But as Endeavor mentions later in this episode, it's important not to interrupt that silence if you're speaking with someone who is using an AAC device. Now, to begin our conversation, Endeavor tells us their personal story about when they began using AAC. Well, I began to speak late. And then was in speech therapy for years where they push tabled normative speech. But using mouth words is so difficult. As I grew, I found ways to avoid it at times. For example, writing out conversations with friends, taking days off from speaking, learning ASL and Latin instead of spoken languages, texting people in the same room and carrying a set of index cards with prepared messages. I was still forcing myself to speak a lot of the time, but there were also times I just couldn't communicate at all if none of those options were available or respected. Finally, in my early 30s another autistic self-advocate introduced me to high-tech AAC. There's strong fighter for the right of all autistics to use AAC regardless of their perceived speech skills. And that made all the difference in my life. I was like, oh wow, this could be for me too? They said yes, of course. All that matters is whether it makes your life better. And so I trialed a device later that year and then got my own. In fact, not too long before I met Amy. You mentioned that what you call mouth words, uh, speaking orally, could be difficult. Why do you choose to communicate with AAC? I can't always speak. Often what does come out of my mouth isn't quite what I meant to say. And even when I do speak words that match my meaning, they're not enough to meet all my communication needs. 
These are all known types of autistic speech, outlined by Zisk and Dalton in 2019. But beyond all this, mouthwords are just exhausting for me. Producing spoken language takes an inordinate amount of cognitive resources that are desperately needed for other brain functions. So when I use AAC my life is indeed better. In fact, I think I only use mouth words about 10% of the time these days. I have more capacity for sensory modulation, executive function, paying attention, participating in social interactions, learning new skills, and self-advocacy. We're going to talk a little bit more about one of the concepts that you mentioned which sometimes people refer to as autistic burnout, which is this feeling of you know using a lot of energy um, for one task, in this case, uh, speaking orally, using mouth words. We'll talk a little bit about what you learned about other autistic people who choose to use AAC through your participatory research in a moment. Amy, as an SLP, how did you become aware that some autistic people prefer to use AAC? I actually have been an SLP for over 27 years and a clinical researcher for quite some time and partnering with the autism and autistic community for the majority of my career. And I'm humbled to say that I actually didn't know about this community of folks who use speech and AAC until I met Endeavor. And we met about, goodness, uh, Endeavor, correct me if I'm wrong, about six, seven years ago now, maybe, maybe not that long, five, thanks, five. <laughs> and so I think that's really telling, you know, I, I have spent my career with folks on the autism spectrum, their families, and other professionals who who are with this community. And yet, I think due to our society that is focused on spoken language and using oral speech and our profession that is focused on the same, I really was not familiar with folks who have speech skills but are not getting their communication needs met through speech only. And that's humbling, I think. And yet also really quite shocking and unfortunate that we have so many folks who would benefit from having open access and alternatives to communication that particularly in our profession, we can be supportive of and facilitative. And so when I met Endeavor, it was really this great opportunity to learn about this community and learn more. And then we had this opportunity to learn from some more folks in that community as well. And, you know, on our research team and Endeavor and I have the opportunity to partner with another autistic individual who uses speech and AAC as well as a colleague who has special experience in AAC and, and then, we also, through Endeavor and Dr. Alyssa Hillary Zisk's network, we also get to hear from other folks in that community as well. And so we're really, really fortunate uh, to use participatory research in that way. I was thinking about it. I don't think I've met an SLP who uses or prefers or otherwise chooses to use AAC. And so I, I think about myself, I would be drained trying to communicate through AAC. I prefer orally speaking or mouth words. You know, that's how I've spoke throughout my life. So I have to think SLPs who speak orally may feel similarly, and it requires some sort of, 
I don't know, empathetic imagination or an experience or, or in your case, Amy, meeting someone like Endeavor to open their mind to viewing communication this way. So I was just wondering, if, could, could you speak to that? What was your reaction when you met Endeavor and you started to hear their view of AAC? Yeah, thank you. I think that's an interesting question. And I did my master's degree at uh, Gallaudet University in Washington, D.C., which for folks who aren't familiar, that's the only deaf liberal arts university in the world. All undergraduates are either deaf or hard of hearing. And I'm fluent in American Sign Language. My children are CODAs. They're children of a deaf adult. So they're bilingual in spoken English and ASL. So perhaps I'm familiar and comfortable with with uh, thinking about communication from a cultural perspective. And in fact, Endeavor and I use sign language to communicate along with other kinds of communication. I remember our first meeting, we were talking, and I hope, Endeavor, if I might share, that you asked if Endeavor was was kind of interviewing me uh, to take my autism course to see if it was a match for, for them. And and I think I passed because they took my course <laughs> and and were really gracious in, in sharing their experience with myself and uh, their fellow students. And so anyway, they they asked if they could use their AAC device in my class. And I, I was just bewildered by that question. But evidently, other professors had not been open to that idea in their classrooms. And that was astounding to me. I had no idea why someone would not be allowing open communication in their classrooms. And so I I think that perhaps I just am more accustomed to different ways of communicating than other folks. And that's unfortunate. (laughs) But thinking about speech language pathology more largely, do you think some people maybe consider oral speech to be a goal or preferred method of communication? And why would that be? I know that's a big question. Well, to be quite frank, J.D., we we live in an oral-focused society, and we are absolutely in an oral-focused discipline, and, and the roots of that are ableist and oddist, and so we, we have that as a normative standard in our society as this is the ultimate pinnacle of successful communication. And so that's what we strive for. And if something is not that standard or not that normative uh, way of communicating, then the automatic assumption from an ableist point of view is that one would aspire to that. And that would be what one wants to achieve. If someone is not using that form of communication, then the assumption would be they would want to use that form of communication. And it really doesn't strike a person who has that that view that a person would be satisfied with another form of communication or that even they would be seeking out another form of communication. And so it's it's challenging. And that's a medical model of disability as well, is that we strive to be quote unquote typical or normal and that that person is not satisfied with their quality of life who 
who is not quote unquote typical or normal and that they're seeking to be fixed or cured. And, and so when someone has that view, that medical model view, then it's really hard for them to imagine that using ASL, using an AAC device is a preferred choice, is their, is their way of communicating, is the way that they express themselves fully. And it's really interesting to see that from that viewpoint, using spoken language, just, you know, three words to them would feel successful versus a full expression of one's insights, their comments, their feelings, their emotions, all of those pieces through any other form of communication would be inferior compared to those three spoken words. Sometimes there's time between when the words, uh, if they're speaking orally, when the words leave their mouth and when they hear the response. It takes a little time sometimes to enter the response in the AC device and for it to play. So Endeavor, I was going to ask, have you found that sometimes people may become self-conscious or fill the time between when they speak and when they hear your response by speaking more? And what is that period of time like for you? Like, like should they feel uncomfortable in that moment? This happens more often than not, that people get impatient, and it's so frustrating, partly just logistically. The more someone keeps talking while I'm preparing my message, the more behind or off topic my comment will be by the time I'm finally ready to share it. Speaking people generally move along with content so fast I end up missing out on chances to contribute. Moreover, it feels disrespectful, like interrupting someone speaking mid-sentence would be. So I often tell people who are new to communicating with AAC users, look, you have to get comfortable with that silence. It's not a bad thing to slow down a conversation to ensure equitable access. But I love what you said about feeling uncomfortable. Maybe that's really what I want people to do. Say with that discomfort and examine it. Think about the ideas you've internalized about how conversations are supposed to work and ask yourself why you accept them as good ideas if they don't work for everybody. That focus on the discomfort is really valuable. We're taking a quick break. In the second half of the episode, Amy and Endeavor discuss what SLPs can do to support autistic people who want to use AAC. Support for Asher Voices comes from Asher Press. Cody never has enough time, and as he takes on middle school, he can't seem to figure out where it's all going. With the help of some friends and his school SLP, can he learn to defeat the time snatcher? Find out in this new first ever graphic novel from Asher Press. Perfect for any SLP or educator specializing in executive functioning skills or ADHD. You can get Cody's Adventures for 20% off for a limited time. Visit on.asher.org KODI. To learn more about the experiences of the community of autistic people who use oral speech and AAC, Amy and Endeavor conducted a survey. The duo, along with a co-writer, wrote about the responses in an article titled Everyone Deserves AAC, Preliminary Study of the Experiences of Speaking Autistic Adults Who Use Augmentative and Alternative Communication. It was published in the Asher Journal Perspectives in 2021. I asked Amy to tell me about that research and some of the key things that they learned from it. We were interested in seeing what were 
kind of the communication successes and challenges of folks in this community, what were their experiences in different contexts, and also kind of what was the the background of their communication experiences. We asked them about different settings, for example, home settings like professional settings, medical settings, those kinds of things, to see how they communicated, what their communication looked like with different communication partners. And what we found, it was a qualitative study. We did an analysis of the responses, and the responses really gave us really rich information because it was open format, and folks told us a lot. And and what we found were main themes that essentially communication had been forced for a lot of folks throughout their lives until they found AAC as adults. And universally, our participants only found AAC as adults. Much like Endeavor's experience, they had not been offered AAC as children, even though all of them had communication challenges as children, and they felt like they had been not able to fully express themselves. And yet the other main theme was that when their communication choices were respected, they felt success. When they had autonomy to choose how they wanted to communicate, when they wanted to communicate, they felt really successful. And in fact, the title of our paper was one of the quotes from one of our participants, which is, everyone deserves AAC. And one of the things that came out of our paper, one of the themes, and we found five main themes, was just that everyone deserves AAC. We need to create a culture of normalizing AAC, of destigmatizing other ways of communicating. And one of the things that our group has talked about in our last two papers is this idea that's been perpetuated in our discipline since the 1980s that AAC is this last resort. And this speaks to the last question that we were just talking about, which is why do we have such an oral-centric society? Why do we have such an oral-centric discipline? And it's this idea that, you know, speech is the pinnacle of communication. So, of course, we're going to just push speech, speech, speech when we're trying to support children with communication challenges. And so if our idea is that you push speech above all else, then you're only going to offer AAC as a last resort. Yet we have great research that shows if you offer AAC from the very beginning as a first line of early intervention, it just only supports communication. We really are encouraging a paradigm shift that is creating a culture of communication access and choice and agency so that all children will have the openness to AAC and that AAC is no longer stigmatized. When you talk about creating access and introducing children to AAC, I can imagine there might be other SLPs as well who say, well, I have children uh, on my caseload, their goals are related to oral speech, and I don't want to promote an option that would go against their goals. What would you say to someone that might have that in their mind? I would ask them who wrote the goals. Was it the client? How do you know their goal is spoken language? Do they even know other options exist? Because of someone observing your clients, 
you can't actually know what their internal experiences of speech are like. So unless you're certain they had full input on their own goals and have the knowledge of the full range of communication methods out there, you should first of all be holding those goals suspect. It, which speaks to introducing AAC as an option very early on. Endeavor, what happens when people do not have the choice to communicate the way that they are most comfortable with? Of course, it will vary from person to person. But in my experience, it feels simply terrible. It can be hard to get my message across in whatever modality I'm being forced to use. Frustrating to try to make my brain work around the modality and helpless when I fail to communicate successfully with it and thus can't advocate for myself like I'm used to. These are moments you might see someone engaging in, quote, challenging behaviors, but it's important for outsiders to acknowledge the internal experience. Long term, I see a lot of conversations in my community about the autistic burnout and other negative mental health effects some people experience in this reality where they've been restricted from communicating in a way that works for them. I can certainly relate to that. Yeah, so what can SLPs do to support autistic people who want to use AAC? And I understand this is something you've written about and published in LSHSS in November of 2022. I think we have well-established evidence that AAC is effective for autistic folks. There's really great evidence to speak to this. Having said that, the bulk of the evidence is around what has traditionally been referred to as minimally verbal children and and people on the autism spectrum. And minimally verbal has traditionally been defined as folks with 20 or fewer words. Oftentimes, again, it's that, that notion of offering AAC only to folks as a last resort and really only to folks who have not developed quote-unquote functional speech. And so we really have, unfortunately, just very few studies for looking at at speech and AAC. Having said that, we do have studies that show it's not going to hinder development of speech. And we're starting again to hear from autistic adults who use speech and AAC, yet the discouraging piece to that is how they all almost universally have had to find it without professional assistance. And so I think that we're falling short (laughs) and really our professional duty to be communicative specialists and supporting communication. And so I guess what we would like to say to SLPs and what we've written about in, in our most recent article is how to, again, create that culture of communication for children from the very beginning. And so how do you set up opportunities for access? And and one of the points that our team has made and actually uh, specifically Endeavor and Dr. Zisk have made in, in this paper is what is agency and access? Because I, I think that one of the things that oftentimes we don't think about is that 
someone's agency, particularly a child's agency, really depends on the actions of someone else. And so a child can't have choice until (laughs) their agency is really given to them by somebody else. And, And that's really fundamental in like an educational setting. And so we need to allow children to have choices in their communication and then the agency to act on those choices. So that means that they need to have the ability to communicate in the way they want, refuse to communicate. They need to be able to not have to be kind of forced into choosing a particular way or told that it's this one AAC, even if we're using AAC. And I think that's a little bit tricky oftentimes. If we think about how kids use communication in the world, they use it in lots of different ways. They use gestures, they use their voice, they use their body, they use lots of different ways to communicate. And then when children have communication challenges, we often kind of just like, will zoom in, narrow it down to, to very particular one or two ways. And I think that we want to expand it. So they have lots of different ways so that they can get their point across. And Endeavor was saying that oftentimes kids are frustrated when they can't communicate and it comes out in those so-called challenging behaviors. And to speak to that point that Endeavor was talking about from Ziskin Dalton, uh, for folks who aren't familiar, in their 2019 paper, they talked about three types of autistic speech that I think we really, as SLPs, have not talked about at all. And their intermittent speech, which describes when a person cannot always speak, unreliable speech, which describes when a person experiences a mismatch between what they say and their intended meeting, and insufficient speech, which describes when a person speaks but cannot fully express everything they wish to communicate. So this is very different, very, very different than what we've been doing in speech-language pathology for a long time, which is listen to what a child says and listen for a motor difference, a motor planning difference, or listen for an articulation difference, or look for particular kinds of errors. Those are all internal states. And so to speak to Endeavor's point, we won't know from the output of a child if they've actually met what they intended to communicate. And so what can an SLP do? An SLP can provide lots of access and agency to children until they're able to communicate if they're expressing what they fully want to express, and then create environments where people are comfortable and promoting and accepting and normalizing different ways of communicating so it's not stigmatized, so there's not superiority of one kind of communication over another. That's what we've been talking about trying to do. And this has been out in the literature in the form of universal design for learning and uh, different ways of expressing oneself through pictures and things like that. So, I was going to go back to that 2021 article that you published in Perspectives. And I wanted to read a quote from that. You wrote that 
quote, promoting communicative choice for all individuals with communication challenges and promoting success with multimodal communication, including both speech and AAC use, may begin addressing myths about AAC use and questioning prevalent attitudes related to who uses AAC in society at large and in the professional community, end quote. What are some of those myths? I would start with that same idea that AAC is only for people who can't speak at all or their speech can't be understood at all. Another myth would be that introducing it inhibits the development of further spoken language. These together really shape that idea that AAC should be considered a last resort. Amy, anything to add? I think that's great. And I also think one of the myths that we would like to see addressed is the idea that particularly in children, that it's a distraction or that kids who use it will, it will create some kind of challenge with peers. And there's a lot of people who are doing work with peers. And in fact, showing that if a peer has a device and the child who has a communication challenge has a device, it creates great opportunities uh, for them to communicate together. So I think that One thing that's asked of me a lot is, well, parents are going to be so upset. They're not going to want to do this with their child. They'll think we're giving up, quote unquote. And I say, well, how is it being presented? How are we talking about it? Because if we're talking about it in a way that's very negative and very, very much like this is the last resort and that speech is the pinnacle, well, then, of course, a family is going to feel that way as well. This is the language element of how we speak about AAC. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if we had an environment where folks were using all kinds of communication in a really positive way, if we had an environment where folks like Endeavor were coming and talking in classrooms and normalizing how uh, communication is different for all different kinds of folks and respected and valued, then I think we would be having all kinds of different conversations. Endeavor. If you have a message for SLPs, what would that be? I just want to emphasize, there's absolutely nothing superior about mouthwords compared to AAC. The ableist idea of the normative spoken language is the ideal outcome of therapy is often at the root of why so many autistic people are denied or delayed access to full communication. You've got to push back on that full force. We deserve self-directed communicative success now, not as a last resort, and that very well may look like using AAC somewhere all of the time. What has the experience of collaborating been like, and how have people reacted to your presentations and research? Oh, it's been lovely. When Amy came to me, looking into whether this area of research would be valuable to the autistic community and asking if I was interested in being a contributor. I was excited despite not really knowing what I was getting into. I've always been intimidated by the more heavily academic aspect of research such as find and understanding articles, forming a lit review, and citing things properly. Amy has been as gracious along the way with that learning curve as she has been with listening to my ideas and experiences. And people have reacted quite well to our work as far as I'm aware, including autistic community members I really value the opinion of. 
I think using the participatory research model really supports the validity and acceptance of our findings. Yeah. What have you learned from each other? I have learned so much about even just the practical aspects like research design and how to present results. For example, being able to back up our premise with existing literature and then being able to create a sound study design that has the ability to find out from my community the things we are indeed interested in learning more about. But beyond that, I think partnering with Amy has also taught me that, you know, I have a place in academia even though I wasn't able to finish college. And more broadly than my opinions and experiences can and will be heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I guess I, I want to say that I've learned to listen and I've learned to learn. Um, and things take a different timeline than I've had in the past, but and is really fruitful. So it's exciting. What do you mean by that? You've learned to listen, you've learned to learn. You know, I think that I was an intervention researcher for a lot of years, and there was kind of a path. You plan out an intervention, you implement an intervention, you collect the data, you analyze the data, then you take the next step in implementing the intervention in in a different way. And and I actually thought that I did community-based research because my intervention was in the community. So that's kind of funny. And then I came to understand about participatory research, which actually oftentimes is called community-based participatory research. So that's why I'm chuckling about the community part. And then I could step back and realize that I wasn't in the community in the real sense of the word. And so now I spend a lot of my time just listening to things that I thought I understood and have a completely different understanding of because I'm not autistic and I get to understand better from an autistic viewpoint. And and that's really exciting for me. And then I learn the next time I can think like, hmm, I wonder if it would be better to do it this way. And it's an iterative process. And I can check in with autistic research partners and see if I'm closer to the mark. <laughs> and sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not. I think it's exciting. I will never do anything but participatory research for the rest of my career. Maybe that is a good place for us to wrap Amy Endeavor, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Find articles mentioned in this episode and more conversations about AAC on the blog post for this episode. That's at on.asha.org slash podcast. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA Press. Managing time can be hard for anyone, especially kids. In Cody's Adventures, How I Learned to Defeat the Time Snatcher, the new graphic novel from Asha Press, Cody learns how to get his time back. Perfect for elementary or middle school students. You can get Cody's adventures right now for 20% off. Visit on.asha.org slash K-O-D-I. I'm Jaden Gray, and this is Asha Voices.